Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with one of his favorite teammates, two-time World Series champ and current bench coach for the Atlanta Braves, Walt Weiss. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down on one of my favorite teammates. He was the AL Rookie of the Year in 1988. He's a two-time World Series champ and is currently the bench coach for the Atlanta Braves. Ladies and gentlemen, Walt Weiss. Walty, welcome to the Boone Podcast. It's an honor, Booney. Very cool. We got we to catch up. We got for... for you you guys out there listening on the Boone podcast today, this is going to be a treat. We got some good stuff for you. Uh, always love talking to Walt. You know we we have a we have a past, and uh, like I said in the opening, one of my favorite guys. All right, I got to clear this up. A lot of uh, a lot of us team, you know, a lot of us baseball players. Not so much. I didn't notice you really had any any weird quirks. I I had a few things like you know, if I got a hit, I. I I put the I dress the same way the next day. Little stuff, but clear up the right. Jock Peterson pearls for me. How did it come? <laughs> I mean, we were all blindsided by a boonie. I got to be honest with you. It showed up out of nowhere. And uh, uh, Petey, he, he's a he's a character um, to say the least. He showed up one day with the pearls, you know, and and um, you know, a couple of us kind of looked at him sideways, but for the most part, it went under the radar until he started balling. You know, he he started he started going off, hitting homers, and then uh, all of a sudden, the pearls became a thing. And and uh, man, it, it became such a thing that it was part of our World Series ring. I mean, there's a pearl in in the ring be, because of uh, because of how much that took off uh, with Jock and and all the and all the all the shenanigans. So um, it was. Uh, yeah, it was it was next level stuff. I and mean, we we had we had grown men, you know, big burly redneck type guys in the stands wearing pearls. I mean, everyone was wearing pearls during that run, so it really took off. Yeah, I love it because people just like I, I I don't even know Jock Peterson, but they'll ask me, "Hey Brett, why is he wearing those pearls?" I said, "I don't know." I said, "I'll tell you, it probably started with a a weird thing." <laughs> I've seen some interviews with Jock, mm-hmm. and he's a, he's a little out there. He's a different bird. And I he's said he probably wore the pearls one day, hit a homer, and decided, exactly. "Well, I'm going to wear the pearls tomorrow." Hit another homer, then the Braves started winning. Next thing you know. His teammates are rallying around it. I've seen things, you know, in in my past on certain teams. We had certain weird things that we did. But I said, I think it's it's probably as simple as that. But I'll ask Walt. Yeah, no, you know, that's how it works, Booney. That's exactly how it works. And then uh, and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, we were winning games and he's hit the homers and, and it's a thing. Yeah. All right. You're born in Tuxedo, New York. Uh, Walt Weiss <laughs> is a kid. What were you like? As a kid, well, yeah, born in a hospital in Tuxedo. I grew up in, in a town called Suffern, New York, which is about 30 miles outside uh, New York City. Um, you know, Booney grew up in a blue-collar family and, and uh, uh, loved sports for as long as I can remember. I was, I was, I was just a little fella. You know, I was, I was, 
I was always uh, one of the smaller kids in in, in my uh, in my class. Um, late bloomer, as, as as they say, but uh, played basketball, football, baseball as a kid, and and uh, grew up. Uh, Yankee fan and, you know, fan the big red machine because I was a front runner and they were winning a lot back when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, nothing special uh, uh, growing up. Uh, but, but like I said, uh, was definitely a late bloomer. Um, very Did not get recruited much out of high school. Um, at the end of my senior year in high school, the coach from North Carolina, Mike Roberts, uh, Brian Roberts, uh, his dad, uh, he, he showed up at one of my high school games at the end of my senior year. I was uncommitted at the time, and and um, and and he saw me play and came to my house after the game, and and I I, I signed to go to University of North Carolina. That was one of the few schools that recruited me out of high school. Isn't it amazing how times have changed? I mean, now we're recruiting kids like at six, going to little league practice, <laughs> seeing, seeing right. if seeing if they'll commit. <laughs> But, uh, you know, back in that, you're right, though, back in those times, I mean, they, I didn't go on a, on a trip for college until my senior year. I mean, that was just kind of the way we did it. And, and now the, the recruiting at such a young age, and I would think it'd make it difficult. Like, I don't, I don't really know how to, how to say what this 12 year old's going to be, you know, once he, he becomes a young man and, and, but uh, that, that's, that's kind of how sports are today. Uh, suffering high school, you mentioned very different. Yeah. Go ahead. Booney. Yeah. Suffering high school, uh, your 10th pound, your 10th round pick of the Orioles, uh, in that draft, you said you committed to, to, uh, North Carolina. Did you even consider signing? Did you consider signing or were you always just going to go to college? You know, I, I wanted to go to school. I like I said, Booney, I, I, um, I was about 150 pounds, 155 pounds coming out of high school. Um, and I wanted to learn how to switch hit, and I hadn't been a switch hitter yet. And I, 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 you know, pro ball was just too much for me at that point and where I was physically, mentally, emotionally, I, I knew it was too much. Now, you know, my, my dad was kind of, he's kind of pushing me to sign, you know, because heck I got, I was, you know, I had the opportunity to go play pro baseball. It's what I always wanted to do. But, um, I just knew I wasn't ready for that. And my three years at North Carolina were life-changing. I mean, that's when I really started to to develop physically. Not, not that I ever became a, a big guy, but, um, you know, I, I got to learn how to switch hit, which is late, late in your career, really, to start in college. And uh, to be honest, if I had to do it all over again, I don't, I don't know if I would have switched hit if starting that late. It was, it's just very difficult to do, but... But nonetheless, I, I uh, spent three years in North Carolina and really, like I said, that was a game changer for me. And by the time I came out uh, as a junior, I, I was ready to go. I remember when I signed, I was in A-ball in that Carolina League and our first trip to Durham, which I think is close to Chapel Hill. And, and uh, yeah, played the, after I got done knocking down the bull in the, in the, uh, in the game, we headed over to Chapel Hill. <laughs> I think for a few, no, I'm kidding. But I do remember Chapel Hill, huge, huge for uh, hoops. As when you're at yeah. Chapel Hill, you know, and I, and I picture it being, you know, I went to USC and I, and I, I picture the basketball games at Chapel Hill almost being like the football games at USC. Was it, was that yeah. the big thing in town? 
Yeah, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, there was a guy on the basketball team who was one year older than me. His name was Michael Jordan. So, you know, my freshman year, I was I was an usher at the basketball game. So I got to see, you know, every every home game that year and watch uh, Jordan as a sophomore in college. Um, and, uh, you know, again, got to watch, watch him for two years in college. Uh, you know, he he uh, I think he's he left after his junior year. So I got to watch him for two years at Carolina. The basketball games were, yeah, they were they they were pretty insane, um, and they still are. You know, they, of course, we were in a little gymnasium back then, um, called Carmichael Auditorium, but uh, uh, they got the big Dean Dome now. But yet, the basketball games were were a treat at, in Chapel Hill. 1984, you go to the Cape Cod League, and and uh, you know nowadays, Walt, there's there's so many opportunities for these college these college athletes uh, as far as summer uh, choices. When we were coming right. up, you know, and you're a little ahead of me, you're a little little before me um, playing pro ball, but we basically had two choices. It was you go to Alaska. Where you go to Cape Cod now, you know, and, and I think it's better now because mm-hmm. the Cape Cod League and the Alaska League were, were just for the, you know, the top prospects. So the rest of the college baseball players, they really didn't have a place to play in the summer and really excel and, and further their development. Um, I never went to Cape Cod. How do you like playing there? Because I went to Alaska. It was different. It was weird. The sun never went down. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, I thought it was cool. And it was a part of, you know, part of my growth and and kind of getting outside of the box at USC. But uh, how did you enjoy the Cape Cod League? Yeah, I got to tell you, Booney, the, the Cape was a turning point for me. Um, I went up there and had, had, had a really good summer. You know, believe it or not, Booney, I know this is going to shock you. Because Walty didn't have the prettiest swing, but, <laughs> but I, I still, I believe I still hold the record for doubles in the Cape, which, which you know, that's that record's I guess what thirty-eight years old now. Um, so I, I went up there and had a really good summer. That was probably the reason why I ended up getting picked in the first round was was how I performed in the Cape. So yeah, going going to the Cape was was a uh, was was a pivotal move in my career. 85, your 12th overall pick uh, for the Oakland A's. Got through, you got through the, the minor leagues pretty quick. You got to the A's, you got your cup of coffee in 1987. And uh, I think you made enough of an impression. You know, I, I believe it was Alfredo Griffin was the shortstop yeah. uh, for the A's at the time. Walt comes up in 87 and uh, had a good run in September. Uh yeah. I think they either traded Griffin or something. They basically paved the way for you to be the shortstop going into 88. Give me a little, you know, and I, we have guys on the program all the time and we talk about that first call up. Everybody has their, you know, their moment. And uh, what was that like for you? Uh, you know, finally, because it's all our dreams, you know, years yeah. later, you look back on it and, and it's, We've had so much experience and been around the game. I mean, you've been in the game since since that pro contract. You're still in the game, you know, bench coach for the Atlanta Braves. Um, but that's a special time when you first get that first call. It kind of gets real real quick, like, wow, you walk onto that big league field. And I try to tell people, you know, people ask me all the time, uh, yeah, Brett, it probably wasn't a big deal for you because you grew up around your dad. I said, let me tell you. 
It's one thing being a little kid running around the clubhouse, a big league clubhouse. It's another being a actual player Mm -hmm. with a job to do. I said, so as much as people want to dismiss, it's not that big of a deal. It was a huge deal for me as a player. I went out of that, you know, because the minor league field is different than a big league field. There's something about Mm -hmm. it. It's just more spacious. But uh, we all have that moment when you first got that call, especially that team you're about to to step on, be a part of, you know, kind of an iconic team. And and we'll talk about some of those players in a bit. But uh, give me that first run, 1987. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I tell you, Booney, completely caught off guard. I was in double A in 87. Um, A manager calls calls a team meeting. And tells the team that I, I'm I'm going to the big leagues now. You know, it wasn't even on my radar. I mean, because like you know, like I said, I'm in Double A. I'm not Triple A. Uh, a couple injuries. A, a couple guys got hurt in the middle of the infield, and they called me up from Double A. Well, I'm in I'm in. Uh, I believe it was Orlando, Florida, in the Southern League, and I got to get to Oakland. So I, I take uh, I fly all night. Oakland has a day game the next day, and I, I get in to the I get in to Oakland that morning. Go right to the ballpark. I've never seen the ballpark park before, Booney. I mean, I have no idea what to do. Um, I took a couple laps around the stadium, didn't know how to get in, and then I, you know, I was a little guy, like I said, so I, I'm trying to talk my way in into the clubhouse, and 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 uh, the security guy's laughing at me. Yeah, you're a big leaguer. You know, and and so we had to make a few phone calls, and then and they had to, and someone had to come get me and vouch for me to get into the clubhouse. So, um, but yeah, we you know uh, that for, that 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 day, I thought I was going to be in a lineup. I wasn't. I was kind of happy. I wasn't. Be honest with you, it was a whirlwind for me. But um, I get the pinch run, Booney, and in in, in, the, in the ninth inning, we're down one. I pinch run for Mark McGuire, and who's hitting? Reggie Jackson. So, you know, this is, this is like a dream, you know? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's like an out of body experience at this point and not a real storybook beginning, Booney. I get, I, uh, Dan police acts on the mound. I get the steal sign from Tony La Russa. I go first move police act throws to first and they throw me out at second. Um, <laughs> and so I run off the field the, the 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 people the, the people in the stadium have no idea who I am. I wasn't in spring training. Um, I'm getting I'm I'm getting booed running off the field. I get picked off in a one run game, and um, uh, the, the the next day actually was the All Star break, and and the the, the All Star game happened to be in in Oakland that year. So the, the the place was packed because people were in town for the All Star game. Um, so it was a, it was a rough start for me, and then and then at, at, after the break, they sent me back. They sent me to the minor leagues. I went to AAA um, uh, when the break was over. Uh, so that was my that was my debut, getting picked off. And then and then I was a September call up uh, that you know later that season. And I was just sitting around, Booney. I, you know they they had no plans of playing me. Um, Alfredo Griffin tries try, he slides in the head first in the first base, trying to avoid a tag. Uh, on, on, a, on a wide throw and then ground, you know, uh, trying to beat out a, a ground ball, tears his thumb ligament, and so for the last two weeks, you know, they, they pretty much got to play me now. And um, I, I played really well, man. I, you know, I end up, I think I end up hitting 450 or 460 uh, the the last few weeks of the season, and I, I made some big plays. That, you know, uh, at 
at the end of a few games. And, and um, yeah, you're right. They they ended up trading Alfredo Griffin to the Dodgers. We got we got Bob Welch in that deal. Um, I believe uh, Rick Honey Rick Honey kept too. So it was a pretty good sized trade, but it, it opened the door for me um, in '88 to for my first full season as a rookie. And, and I remember, you know. You, you see the Coliseum and you see, you know, there's always complaints about the Coliseum currently, how it sits uh, where the A's play. And I remember when you came up to the big leagues and, and my first, my cup of coffee was in 1992. And I remember coming to Oakland and met Oakland was nice. It was open in, yeah. in the outfield. It was like a beautiful baseball stadium. Now they close it in. And uh, let me, let me not get too far ahead of myself. I hit really good in the Coliseum, the current Coliseum. So I have no complaints, but it is an ugly place. Not always like that. You came to like a nice Coliseum no. and like a big league yard. You're, you're, you're exactly right, Booney. And then people don't believe me when I tell them that. The Coliseum was, was one of the hidden gems of the game, I felt like. Um, you know, we played a lot of day games there. We, believe it or not, we were drawing well back then. Um, it was a it was a really cool time to be in Oakland A, and you know once the Raiders came back they reconfigured it uh, for, for football, and really you know it, it, then it became pretty dumpy for baseball and, and you know they they at this point they need to get a new stadium but um, you're exactly right it, it was kind of a, a hidden gem in the game back then. It kind of resembled almost a nicer version of Dodger Stadium where you had that. You know, you look out center field and you had the horizon in the in, in the distance. I mean, it was, it was a cool place. All right, exactly let's get to right. 1988, Rookie of the Year. You're the, it's the third consecutive, McGuire, Conseco, Weiss. Uh, and you kind of had a storybook beginning. I mean, you go to the World Series, 88, 89, 90, end up winning one out of the three. But take me through that, mm-hmm. uh, that 1988 season. And uh, going to the World Series, where you end up losing to the Dodgers, and I got a little little story for you there at the yeah. end. Uh, you know, the big, obviously the big the big Gibson home run. That's kind of right. something we something we see every October now. But just take me through that rookie season, and, and I yeah. want to get a little rapid fire with you uh, on some of the players. But uh, take me through that '88 experience for you, one rookie of the year. Yeah. I mean, the rookie of the year thing, wasn't, it wasn't even a, a thought, Booney. You know, I wasn't that type of player, you know. And it was a very different game back then, as you know. Um, my game was, was, you know, centered around defense. Um, that, that team was, was explosive offensively, so I was a nice compliment. You know, I was one of the guys that was willing and able to do some of the smaller you know, finer parts of the game that the the big guys, uh, you know, it wasn't it, it wasn't what they were going to do. They're going to produce runs, but I, I was the guy that could move runners and 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 turn the the, the big double plays and and uh, and you know, take a team at bat. You know that. So those aren't the type of players that win rookie of the year. But you know, I um, I kind of I kind of kept my head above water the first half of that season. Um, uh, you know, I, I was struggling, but I was, I was surviving. And then the, the second half of the year, I, I really played well. I think, um, I think I may, I had an errorless streak of, uh, you know, I think near 60 games or something at short. And, um, I think, I, I think I hit around 290 in the second half and, 
and um, and you know we we were winning, you know, and, and end up uh, winning that division going away. So um, it was it was one of my fondest you know memories in, in the game, my rookie year, just because we I, I was on a great team. You know, um, I end up winning that award, which, like I said, I, I wasn't even wasn't even a thought. Um, so it was it was it was a special time. You know, my, and my, my time in Oakland w- w- was really special. It, it was bittersweet because I got hurt a lot there and, and, and suffered some, you know, in particular a career-threatening injury of my third or fourth year in Oakland. Um, but I missed a lot of time. So I always tell people that the, the good times in Oakland were really good and, and, and the bad times were really bad, you know, personally, just because of, uh, of all the injuries I, I suffered during that, that six-year span. 88, you go your first year, full year in the big leagues. You go to the World Series. Uh, you know, and I mentioned Gibson hits the homer. Did I, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I'm at, I'm at USC watching you guys. I, get, I, I put a phone call into uh, Lasorda. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how, you know, I had his number or whatever through, you know, family ties through the years. And I yeah. said, hey, I, I need two, two tickets to the game tonight. No problem. So I get on my scooter. From USC, throw Aaron Boone on the back. <laughs> Battle traffic without license plates because, you know, you got a scooter. You don't need a plate for that. Side streets, get to Dodger Stadium Park, go get my tickets. We're, we're in right field, upper deck, farthest seat away from home plate. I can look over the railing and see into the parking lot. But, hey, he got me in the building. So we're watching that game. And I turned to, to Aaron in about the seventh. I said, uh, hey, let's get out of here and beat the traffic. All right, get on the scooter, head home, get back to my dorm room. Gibby's rounding the bases. <laughs> I went. So so to this day, hey, I was there, kind of. <laughs> but I wasn't really there. But that, that had to be, I mean, you go from you go from that you, you end up losing the Dodgers eighty nine you end up being World Series champion you win your first ring ninety you get swept by the Reds when you guys were kind of overwhelming favorites uh, to win it and I right. remember that Reds team with Pinella and, and a team I would yeah. go to a little bit later and play with play with uh, a bulk of that uh, of that nineteen nineties team. But that's, you know, a lot of guys don't get to go to any World Series. Your first three years, you're in three. You win one. Difference between the 89 when you end up winning it, and we'll get to the, we'll get to the earthquake in a second, but difference between going to World Series and winning and losing. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, Booney, I, I, I wish I had been on that scooter with you that night because I had to, I had to run off the field uh, from shortstop when Gibson hit that homer. Um, but just, just to, uh, kind of rehash that moment as devastating as it was when, when, uh, when Gibson hits that homer, I'm running off the field and, and I, and, and you could, you could just feel the magnitude of the moment. Like it, you knew it was historical as devastating as it was. You're like, Holy cow. I can't, I can't believe this is, this is happening right now. Um, and I, I remember sitting in the, the clubhouse. The, all the players were in the clubhouse, sitting at their lockers. And you, the, the crowd, the crowd, you, you could hear the crowd noise as if the home run just happened. And this was 30 minutes later. 
the crowd was still going berserk and, and we, everyone was dumbfounded and just sat at their locker staring either into the locker or into the middle of the clubhouse. No one said a word. Um, it was, it was, I, I still, I have vivid memories of that, of the aftermath of that, of that home run. You just knew it was, it was something monumental when, when it happened. Um, you know, we see we see that 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 video clip when he when Gibson's coming around second and he and he pumps his fist. If you look close, you see you see Walty running off the field number seven. I'm always in the I, so I get I, I'm reminded of that home run. <laughs> it seems like uh, every other day since then uh, you see that clip. So um, just an, an an amazing moment in the game, amazing moment in my career. Even though it was it, it was a tough one. Um, but yeah, those three first three years, three World Series, um, only won one. It's so hard to win it all, Booney. I got. I mean, you know. I mean, it's anyone that's played at this level to be the last team standing is is, is so it's so hard. I tell people it's almost impossible, you know. And, and um, yeah, the difference between winning and losing. I mean. The the there's only one there's only one team out of thirty that 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 really feels good at the end when the season's over. You know, even if you get to the World Series and you lose, it's you that last feeling you had is a bad one of of that season. Even though you can reflect on obviously a great season, you know, getting to that point, but you still you still go home with a bad taste in your mouth. So um, it's so hard to, to win it all. And and as a coach, you know, winning the last year with the Braves. That was the thing that I, I was most reminded of, that, man, I forgot how hard this was. I forgot how hard it is to win it all. And <clears throat> that was the sixth World Series for me, Booney. I, I, I've been a part of six World Series because four as a player. Um, the one last year was five, and, and, and I was a special assistant to the GM in Colorado when, when, when the Rockies were there in 07 against the, against the Red Sox. So it was my sixth World Series and, and, and won two of them. And, and I, I got to tell you, man, it's it's going going being the last team standing. It's exhausting. It's grueling, and it, and it's it's almost impossible. It feels like it was it was that difficult. Yeah, I tell people all the time, and I remember last year when you guys won, and uh, you know, I thought oh, I was pumped for you because I'm like, yeah, Walt is getting another ring, but but I did, and I was watching that Braves team celebrate when they won, and I. And I do it all the time now. I think maybe I'm getting sentimental as I get older. But I watch those those guys each year that that hoist that trophy, and I just think that's awesome because just like you were explaining, mm-hmm. it is so hard to not only get to the World Series but then to win it. Um, so I, I always think to myself, you know, because we're we're always young, you know, we're young and dumb at one point too, you know, kids playing <laughs> playing big league baseball and. Sometimes you, you, you don't have the experience or the life, life experience mostly to, to appreciate what you have when you're, when you're going through it. But as you get away from the game, you do realize how hard and how fleeting uh, that is. You know, and people just throw out, the, oh, he's got three rings. I said, do you realize how amazing it is just to win one, just to win one? You know, yeah. think of the, the great players you played with or against that never got a chance to go to a world series, let alone win one. So I always, you know, I always have an appreciation every year in, in any sport, you know, world series, super bowl, right. uh, NBA championship, whatever it may be, Stanley cup. I mean, these are special, special times. I want to talk to you about 89 when you, when you end up winning the world series, 
We've had a lot of guys on the sh- on the program that that talked about that was a big earthquake series. I was uh, I was down at at USC. Uh, where were you when it happened? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the left field line, Booney and Candlestick Park, doing my sprints. You know, like like we did every day, um, getting ready for the game that was about to start. And I think in about uh, you know uh, ten fifteen minutes, and. Well, I'll run one and run one of the sprints, you know, from the foul line running towards center field. If what it felt like was like I stepped in a big hole when the earthquake hit. And that's exactly that's the only way I can describe it. I almost fell down, but it felt like there was a big hole in the outfield. Obviously, the ground was moving. I didn't I didn't I didn't know that at the time, but um, I stopped my sprint and I looked. I'm, I couldn't believe there was a hole in the outfield that big, you know, in a big league park. I'm like no way there's a hole in the outfield. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the ground trying to figure out what just happened. Um, and we, we really didn't, we didn't know that there was an earthquake. And you got to remember, I mean, information didn't travel as quickly as it does now. I mean, obviously no cell phones, um, you know, everything at this point, things are word of mouth, you know? So it took, it took about another 10 or 15 minutes after the earthquake to realize that that's what happened. Um, you know, people in the stands knew because they're, they're locals. I mean, I, I, I wasn't a California kid. Um, so earthquake was the last thing on my mind. But, man, what a, what a, what a eerie night that was. You know, after we, we were thinking, well, okay, the earthquake, let's, let's get the game going. You know, let's, let's, let's get going. You know, it, it was delayed, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes now, almost an hour. And now, and, and, and they, they finally canceled the game. We didn't realize you know, the, the type of damage in the community. We had no idea. You know, we're in the stadium, and again, no no way of knowing. Um, so we hop on the bus, Booney, to go back to the Coliseum, which you know it's probably I don't know twenty twenty five minute drive from from Candlestick to the Coliseum under normal circumstances. And it took us about four hours to get back home. We had to go all the way down the peninsula, you know, south to San Jose and back up the other side because all the bridges were closed. Just to, and you know, it was chaos. There there was cars going the wrong way on 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 the freeway. There were cars jumping medians. People were doing whatever they could to get home because no, nobody knew what, what what was ahead of them, on, you know, on the road where the the road was was just going to be tore up or or you know, if it was even passable. So I, re- I remember that bus ride as much as anything um, because of because of how eerie it was. But, you know, and then people don't realize, you know, almost I think a, a, a nine or 10 day uh, break between games, between games two and three in that World Series. And we, we weren't even sure that uh, we were going to resume the series. They, they talked about canceling the World Series, but um, we ended up going down to Phoenix to our spring training complex to kind of get away and put the focus back on, on winning a world series. And I think that was a, that was a key move. You know, I think Larusa and, and, and Sandy Alderson got together and thought that that was the best thing to do was to get away and, 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 and try to refocus. And we, we were on a mission that year, Booney. I mean, we, we, that, that 89 team in, in the postseason. that's, that's the best, that's the best team I ever played on. Uh, we, like I said, we were on a mission. We had gotten embarrassed the year before by the Dodgers, and um, we ended up sweeping sweeping the Giants and 
and we there was no there was nobody getting in our way. I want to talk about that team a little bit. Uh, and I'll just give you a few of the of the guys, a few of the players. Give me a a, a Walt Weiss. It could be one sentence, so it's like a little yeah. rapid fire. We're gonna go uh, Larusa. Intense, f- focused, um, probably the the most prepared manager I ever played for. <clears throat> Hendu, who who we lost recently, he passed away, but uh, he he was a. He was a, up in the booth uh, with the Mariners when I played for the Mariners. A right. really good dude, but definitely kind of a character. And, you know, he was that guy, always smiling, always making people laugh. Yeah. Give me a little Hendu. Yeah, we had a lot of characters on the team. Hendu was one of the biggest ones. Uh, one of my all-time favorite teammates. Uh, played with a joy um, that was contagious. Just a great, great teammate, an underrated player, uh, had a flair for the dramatic, but one of the glue guys on that team. Eckersley. Eck was another one, just an intense competitor, um, transparent as as a teammate and as a guy. I love Eck. Eck, You know, I'm going to say this several times about the guys on the team, but again, one of my favorite teammates. Um, Just a tremendous competitor who loved to win i'm gonna give you these two in one <laughs> the bash brothers <laughs> yeah that's well, very different. They, they, they were they were opposites really like the odd couple you know um jose was was the poster boy you know and 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 he was he was the guy grabbing all the headlines good or bad but uh and was a just you know had crazy talent where Mac, Mac uh, was, was, you know, a, a laid-back guy, kind of didn't like the attention, uh, very different. But uh, those two guys in the middle of the order, uh, I'll put it this way, batting practice was fun every day, watching, watching those guys hit. Um, but like I said, you know, they, they, they're called the Bash Brothers, but they couldn't have been any, any more different than they were. Last, uh, Ricky Henderson. Yeah, Ricky came over in '89, uh, uh, right around the, the All Star break, and um, took us to another level. You know, I say that was the best team I ever played on, and and and, uh, and a big reason is because we added Ricky. He he took over the postseason that year. Um, we we beat Toronto in in the ALCS, and and he just completely took over uh, that playoff series. Toronto was a really good team. And uh, and Ricky continued, uh, you know, through the World Series against the Giants. I believe he, I want to say he won the MVP of that World Series. But Ricky, uh, I said our team was on a mission, but Ricky was too because he'd taken a lot of heat. He wasn't playing, you know, he'd, he'd been hurt a lot in New York. Uh, and so he was taking a lot of heat. He wasn't on the field. Uh, then he was, he, we made that trade and he, he came back home to Oakland where he grew up and where he started his career. And he was... He was a man on a mission, and he he carried us. I mean, he was he was one of the great talents I saw in my in my career. Uh, after '92, you're headed to the Marlins, and and it was interesting to me to think, you know, I forgot about that Marlins stop you had, and I believe that was the yeah. first year. So you go from three World Series, kind of one of the great teams 
of, of modern time and you're headed to an expansion team and you're playing in a football stadium. I hated that place. Can't, couldn't see football lights, wind blowing in, rain every day at four, rain us out of BP. Uh, what was it like? No, but on a serious note, what was it like for you going from Oakland now? Now I'm going to be on this yeah. – uh, you know, I'm going to be on this expansion team. Let's what kind yeah. of unis we got? You got you got Charlie Huff, 58 years old, throwing knuckleballs. You got Conine, the bar- barbarian, playing first. Uh, racquetball on the side. <laughs> All right, yeah. take me through that Marlins. Because now, after that, you're headed to another expansion team. Yeah, yeah. No, I tell you, Booney, sometimes I forget I played there, too. It was a one-year stop, but – you know, it, it, it's, it's what my career needed. I I, um, I had to reestablish myself as a big league player because, I, like I said, I, I dealt with a lot of injuries in uh, in Oakland, and the biggest one was in '91, Booney. I think I think I may have shared this with you, but you know, people never saw it uh, because the game. Not all the games were on TV. It was a Wednesday afternoon game in the Oakland Coliseum, where I lunged for first base trying to beat out a ground ball and. Uh, um, I had a compound dislocation is what they call it. So my fibula came through my leg and I almost bled out on the field. It's considered one of the worst injuries on field injuries in, in baseball history, but no one ever saw it and really knew about it because it wasn't televised. But um, I missed an entire year after that. And, and at that point, I'm sure the, the, you know, the patience was growing thin with the A's as far as I was concerned, because I'd, I'd missed a lot of time. So you know, going from a world champ uh, to an expansion team sounds tough, but um, it was it was kind of what I needed, Booney, at the time. I just needed to get back on the field and, and reestablish myself as a major league shortstop. Because um, when I came back from that ankle injury in in, uh, in '92 in Oakland, my last year there, I had a terrible year. I played I, I played awful, and uh, so I needed I needed I needed to get back on the field. And and uh, Renee Latchman was the the manager of that expansion team and he was a coach on that age staff and and uh, uh latch traded for me on expansion draft day um and you know what i mean there was some there were some interesting names on that team booney for an expansion team but gary sheffield was at third uh like you said we had charlie huff was our opening day uh opening day pitcher the only guy i've ever seen smoke smoke cigarettes in the shower to this day what, what but, uh, charlie's one of my favorite guys Oh, tremendous! One another, yeah. another another great teammate, man. Yeah. But uh, Arrestes Estrada, there was a, you know he came over from Japan. He was a, a star in Japan. He was our first baseman. Conine was in the left. Uh, uh, Benito Santiago. So we we had some we had some big names on 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 that team. But you know, the, as an expansion expansion team, you're not very deep. Then the pitching was a little thin. But um, it was an interesting year. It, it was fun to be a part of an ex- expansion team. You know, because there were a lot of excitement. In, in in South Florida at that time, you know, finally getting the team and and um, you know it's 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 a different it's different uh, there now obviously but that that year in '93 uh, we we had a good following and it was uh, it was fun to be a part of that 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 expansion team. '94, you signed with the Rockies. You'll be there for four years, and you were at the very beginning of of Coors Field. And, you know, I get asked about what was Coors Field like. And this is before the humidor. Right. Man, it it was – people used to – I said, it's not so much the home runs, guys. It's the outfield is so big that the – 
there's so much, you know, there's so much room out there where the cheap hits will fall in. If you get it up, the ball will carry. So it was kind of a double whammy for, for a pitching staff, you know, in the, in the pitch, it might've been better off making it a normal, you know, normal dimensions because then at least the cheap hits are going to be caught, but it was so spacious in the outfield. You've seen it both ways now. I mean, you were there in the beginning uh, with the, you know, Mm -hmm. the Blake, Blake street bombers, they called them. Uh, You've seen it since the humidor. Uh, has Colorado changed? Cause I haven't been back there in, in the modern day, uh, when they're using the humidor, has it changed? Is it still, still the same or, or I don't know, give me your experience. You know what the, yeah, you know, I, I, I ended up spending 15 years with the Rockies, Booney. It's in some capacity, you know, I played there, like you said, for four special assistant to the GM for, for seven years. Um, and then I managed there for four years. So, I, I I saw you know I, I saw a lot there at, at Coors Field and it has changed to a degree. Um, the humidor has helped a little bit. It's still the the, the best offensive park on the planet. There, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, yeah, when it gets real, when it gets bone dry there in the summer, like July and August, and it's 95 and and, and there's no humidity, the ball just never comes down. Still, but um, yeah, hitters paradise. But uh, my first year with Colorado in 94, I went from one football stadium to another. I went from Joe Robbie in Miami to Mile High because I I was there a year before Coors Field was built. 94 was still Mile High? 94 was Mile High. Yeah, because I remember I played a game against you guys there. Man, that was was different. That was different. I think the the visiting clubhouse was down the left field line, like upstairs, if I remember (laughs) right. Yeah, there's like two hundred thousand people at the game. (laughs) Yeah, 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 but um, you know, Coors Field, you know, Mile High didn't play as crazy as 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 Coors Field, you know, for some reason. Um, But uh, I think, like you said, because of the spacious outfield, uh, you get nickel and dime to death before before someone hits a a three run homer. But yeah, court, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we caught us off guard, Coors Field. We didn't realize how offensive a ballpark it was going to be when they first opened that thing. It was a beautiful, beautiful park, still is to this day. Uh, a great setting in downtown Denver. But man, it became a three headed monster, man. It, you know, all of a sudden, we're, we're playing, we're playing four hour games and it's, it's 18 to 15. And, and, um, you know, the humidor, you know, brought a, a, a little bit of normalcy back to to the game there, but but it's still, like I said, the, the greatest place to hit. Ninety eight to two thousand, uh, you signed with the Atlanta Braves. You're an All Star in ninety eight, um, and that's where I kind of me and Walt uh, became buddies. You know, that ninety nine team, <laughs> and we got to go to a World Series. And we were talking about World Series and and how elusive. Um, they can be, you know, that was my one and only I got to go to. <laughs> we got swept in four mm-hmm. games. You're going to a lot of World Series. You're getting swept in a lot of them, too. <laughs> so yeah. got, we got swept yeah, we in 99. Getting swept, yeah. You know, talking about great teams, you know, that was one of the best teams I've ever been on. And I remember uh, coming over there from Cincinnati and Bobby Cox in, in spring training in, in Orlando. Uh, having that pregame, you know, that preseason talk. All right, all all the new guys here. I'll tell you what. I just put the lineup up and we steamroll our opponents. And I remember thinking, well, shoot, 
That sounds good to me. And that's exactly what we did. I think we won 104, 105 games. Uh, you know, <clears throat> it was Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin. But I think that year it was Millwood had the big year. He was kind of a the leader of that staff mm-hmm. in 99. Uh a lot of good guys on that team. We got Andrew and Chipper. Andrew's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. He's been on the podcast. We had Chipper, uh, Doggy, Smoltz, and Glavin. There, there might not ever be a, a better threesome than that. Not not one I've seen so far. Three legit number ones. Um, but the, the Braves of the 90s. And, and we had uh, – I've had a few Braves on and I talked about it. I, I remember that team, and I remember as an opponent, and you probably do too as an opponent, going in there, you, you know, that's back when we had USA Today. And it, it'd be, I'd be counting the games like, all right, who are we going to miss? How am I going to get Merker for one of the days? And it always ended up on Maddox, Smoltz, Glavitt, every time I'm going in. And, and no disrespect to, to, to Merker. Merker was a great pitcher in his own right. But – if, if I've got to pick one, I'm going to pick him over, yeah. the, over the other three. And it seemed like I always landed on that. And, you know, it was it was basically every year Braves go to the, the postseason. They win their division. They did it every year. They just dominated the 90s. You ever think it's amazing they only won one World Series? Yeah, and that, that proves our point, right, Booney, how hard it is to win it all. Um, just every you, everything has to go right. Um you have to be playing really well at the time. And I, I think those Braves team, and you were, you were part of it, Booney, you know, I, I think we were, we were more built for the long haul than maybe a, a, a two-week or three-week postseason sprint because the depth of the pitching that we had, over six months we pulled away from the pack because it was so deep. You know, the starting rotation was so deep. Um, we just pulled away from the pack. But then you get in the postseason – and you're hooking horns, you know, those guys are those guys are matching up with with Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens, Kevin Brown back in the day, you know, Kurt Schilling. I mean, you you you're you're matching up with other Hall of Famers and and so they 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 tend to neutralize your strengths, you know, and 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 uh and another reason why it, it it's so hard to win it all. I mean, Sometimes the, the 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 it's just a matter of matchups, you know. When you get to that, you get to that point of the season, and and uh, our greatest strength was the pitching staff. But it's it, not that anyone had, you know, uh, the, the the staff that we did. But they could throw a couple of horses out there that could throw up zeros too, you know. And 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 then it was about getting the big hit and that type of thing. So. One, you know, 14 division titles in a row and only one World Series. That's, you know, something that gets talked about a lot. But, man, it's like I said, it's just so hard to, to, to be the last team standing. And for you, you uh, fans out there listening uh, today, this is one of my favorite things to, to talk with Walt uh, about. In Atlanta at Turner Field, um, off in the distance, and it was unreachable, but there was a Coke bottle. <laughs> and and Walt wasn't necessarily known for his power, but he definitely was known for his his, uh, his personality, his humor. So I, I would laugh every time because Walt would be hitting BP, and he'd hit one good, and he'd just turn to me and say, 
Booney, another Coke bottle. <laughs> and I could, the Coke bottle's like 700 feet away. But still to this day, I hear would, Coke it, bottle, it land, and it's it Walt land, Weiss. Walt Weiss. It would, land, it would land 50 feet in front of the track when I said that, by the way. <laughs> you can't teach load. <laughs> oh, oh that's great. Um, you retire from there. You, you, like you mentioned, yeah, you go to the uh, – you go to the Rockies. You're a special assistant, 2002 to 2008. How'd you like that? And what did what did your job entail? You know, it was interesting, Booney. Um, I gave it a Cliff Notes version, but uh, I got done playing. You know, in 2000, I'm out of I'm out of the game. 01. I'm out of the game for a year. I get a call in the middle of the 02 season. I'm I'm in, I'm outside Denver at home, and uh, it's Clint Hurdle. Asking, you know, he he gets the job. I guess they fire uh, Buddy Bell midseason. Hurdle gets the job in Colorado. Well, he's my hit, hitting coach for a year. Uh, I want to say ninety ninety seven in Colorado. That's that was our only history together. Um, well, he calls me and asks me to be his bench coach. You know, at this point, my my wife's like eight months pregnant with our fourth fourth son. And she's listening to me on the phone, and she's giving she's giving me that that look, like uh, ain't no way you're going back in the game already. So, you know, I I, I end up turning Clint down, um, but a few weeks later he calls back and said he just wanted me to be a part a part of what they were doing down there, and he asked if I would come down to the stadium, so I did, and you know he he ends up he ends up uh, making me a special assistant. Now I had I had. Yeah, I had, I had no uh, really responsibility. I was just around the club. It was kind of weird at first when when players saw me there. They thought I was trying to make a comeback as a player because I just got out of the game. <laughs> so, and I dress in the locker room with the players. It was it was kind of a weird deal. But you know, over time it grew. You know, I I, I ended up I end up um, going around the minor leagues and and working with minor league infielders, evaluating their minor league system and their players. Uh, I got involved in the amateur draft. I'd go out and see amateurs uh, b- uh, before the draft, and 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 you know, throw my evaluation in the hat. So, you know, I got to dabble in, in a little bit of everything. You know, player development, scouting. I was I was in uniform with the big league club whenever they were home. It was a great gig, you know. But um, I, you know, six seven years into it. You know Dan O'Dowd, who who, who really uh, was good to me during those years. Uh, Dan wanted me to come on and take take on more responsibility, more full time. And like I said, I have four boys at home, and they were getting ready to go into high school, and and I wanted to be a part of that. And, I, and at that point, I I just I stepped away from the game altogether because I just I didn't feel right. I was getting a lot of heat to come on full time. I wasn't ready to do that, and they were getting a little frustrated with me. So. I stepped away, Booney, for for four years um, before I got another, you know, phone call that, that caught me off guard. And, and uh, you know, Dan was asking me to, to interview for the managing job that had just opened up um, after I'd been out of the game for four years. And I'm, at this point, I'm coaching high school football. I'm coaching youth football. Um, I'm coaching my son's baseball teams. Um, I'm just doing the dad thing. But... Um, not the typical path that 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 a manager takes uh, to you know 
on the way to managing a big league ball club. But uh, a really interesting, uh, really interesting uh, set of circumstances there. Well, I think it's a, you know, that's a tribute to you and and how much that organization thought of you. I mean, out of nowhere, Hurdle calling you and asking you to be the bench coach right away. You tell him, no, he still calls you to to be a part of the organization. You're like, guys, I got to go home and and spend some time with my kids. You know, these are some crucial years and I understand that very well. And then you get another phone call. And and like you said, not, not the, the most, uh, not the normal way people get big league managing jobs, but but once again, I think that's just a, it's just a compliment to you on how much how much they thought of you and, and the, not only the baseball knowledge you have, but the but the person that you are. So that was pretty cool, which gets me to that Rockies manager first first managing gig. You're at you're at uh you know you're 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 in that 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 light air that ball's flying. You're the skipper. Uh, toughest part of the job. What, what fooled you? What, what yeah. did you think you knew that you didn't when you sat in that skipper seat? Yeah, no, good question, Booney, because you know, you, you, we, we've, we've been in, you were in game a long time. I, I, I'd been in the game for a long, a long time at this point. Um, and you think, you think you got pretty good perspective, but sitting in that seat, Booney, I got to tell you, it, 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 it's, it's different, man. I mean, it's just, you know, everybody's headache is your headache. Everything funnels to your desk. You know, 90% of the things you get blamed for, you you pretty much have no control over. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was an interesting tenure there in, in Colorado as a manager. Um, obviously, a lot of on-the-job training. I had a really good bench coach in Tom Runnels. I, I leaned on him. Great baseball mind. Um, but... You know, just all the all the the responsibilities that you have as a manager that aren't baseball related is what caught me off guard. Uh, you're, you know, there's always somebody walking by your office, poking their head in. Hey, Walt, you got a minute? You know, whether it's community relations, PR, um, so many so many different uh, aspects of the organization you got to deal with. And then, oh, by the way, at 7:05, we got to go out and win a large league game. So. Um, so there, there's there's just so so many different responsibilities. Uh, I took over at a, at rock bottom. You know, the, the, it was I took over the season after the worst season in Rockies history, and still you know it still is to this day. 2012 was the worst season they've ever had, um, and I took over in 13. So, you know, my, my biggest thing, Boney, um, was I, I was trying to change the culture. That was my that was my number one priority because they'd gotten used to losing. Um, I didn't feel like, and it's no knock against the previous manager, Jim Tracy, who was a great manager. Um, but it's just where they were at the time. You know, uh, I, I felt like they, they, they didn't compete well enough. I felt like guys, you know, they wouldn't go to the post if, if they didn't have to, they would, they would look for ways out of the lineup. Uh, I, I started to see some of that, some of those things in 13 and, um, really tried to change the culture and that's you know coming away after four years we didn't win a lot of games uh we got close in my last year we we we're we're, we're i think we we're still in the wild card race in early september but the, the the thing i feel i feel uh best about is just i felt like we we did change the culture not just me my staff and and the players that we added um where guys competed every day and whoever we lined up against knew that they were going to 
we're going to compete against them and, you know, they're going to have to play well to beat us. Um, I really felt good about, you know, when, when, when I did leave there, to, you know, how I left it. Head over to the Braves 2017 to present uh, World Series champs last year. That was really fun to watch. By the way, I was I was doing a breakdown of the postseason last year, and they asked, you know, they had all the teams out there, and they said, who has no chance to, to win the whole thing? And I said, the Braves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you guys just caught yeah. lightning in a bottle, and it just goes, you know, baseball's a crazy game, and I think that's why it's the the best game is you took it to them, and the next thing you know, uh, you know, you're winning the whole thing. Pretty, pretty cool. Um You're the bench coach there. You come from from yeah. being the skipper in Colorado. Um, what do you try to do as bench coach? How is that different than managing? Obviously, it your yeah. your name's not on that lineup card. You know, any move that's made is not through you. But what do you do as yeah. a bench coach? Did you do you do you reach back for for what you went through as a manager? Did that help you? Did that experience help help yeah. you to be a better bench coach? Absolutely, Booney. I think, and I think that's that's important. You don't have to, you know, be a former manager to be a bench coach, but I think it helps. Certainly helped me uh, just to have that perspective. Um, I try to take a, as much off the manager's plate as I can. I tell people bench coach is a great job. I, I tell people all the time. I, I get, I still get to manage. I just don't have to answer for anything. You know, so it's, it's like right. I don't have to get in front of the I don't have to get in front of the camera and explain why we lost that night. But you know, I'm I'm there with with Brian Snitker, Snit. You know, uh, every night for nine innings, we're 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 talking about all the what ifs. You know, over the course of the game, and what we're going to do, and try to stay out in front of it. I try to stay out in front of the game for him because I know as a manager. Your mind is is going is going in a lot of different places. You know, you're thinking of both sides of the ball. You're 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 trying to stay out in front. And I I try to help. I try to help slow the game down for Snit and 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 stay out in front of the moves we're going to make. Um, and and you know, I also know as a manager, Booney, when, until you've managed, you, you you don't you don't realize how how tough losses are, um, because you really wear it as a manager when your team loses. Because you, you, you retrace your steps and, and you, you always wonder, what, you know, should I have done something different? So I, I know that feeling as a manager. So I, especially after a loss, I always, try, I, I always go into Snit's office just to try to absorb the, the loss with him. I don't want him sitting there at his desk by himself, you know, uh, absorbing the loss. I remembered that as a manager. And I think that that's part of the perspective that helps as a bench coach, just going in there. And, and it, 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 even if it's just so Snit can vent a little bit, or I can say, Hey man, you know what? You, you pushed all the right buttons, Snit, you know, just didn't happen tonight. That, that type of thing, just so he doesn't have to wear it by himself. Uh, um, but yeah, until you sat in that seat, it's, it's a different deal, Booney. It, you know, everyone's looking at you um, to fix anything that's, that's not going right. And like I said, you don't always have the answers, you know, and, and um, at the end of the day, you hope the, the guys, you, you prepare, the, the guys are prepared to go out there and, and it's, it's a group that likes to compete and you, you take your best shot every night. But that's um, a lot of those, a lot of the other things are, are out of your control, but it's still your responsibility as a manager. 
Isn't it amazing though? We sit there as players and, you know, when we lose a game, it's, it's on us. You know, we have it in our control, how we perform on the field. And, and then, you know, you go into that manager seat and I could imagine how much you took on yourself when, when you had a tough loss. Could I have done this different? Could I have done that different? But then think back to when we're sitting around after the game, talking about the game, how many times we said, man, if Skip would have just made this move, we would have won tonight. Very rarely. <laughs> you know, it's so rare. Right. It's like, you right. know, I laugh when I talk to Aaron. It's like, dude, there's only so much you can do. And if your players right. play well, you win. And if they don't, you lose. But there's only exactly. so much you can do. But but it is you you take it personal. And I've never sat, sat in a big league manager seat, but I could imagine I think I would be really hard on myself, too, and, and wear that and own that loss where really if, if I'm thinking with a clear mind and, and take yourself back to your playing days. All you can do is did you prepare as good as you could? Did you have your team right. prepared as good as you could? OK, well, that's the end of it. Because you can't get up, you can't get in a batter's box, and you can't make a play. Um, you won a World Series in, in 1989 as a player. Man, a lot of years later, you win a World Series as a coach. Different, same? What yeah. are the difference, if there is any? You know, there, there's nothing like being a player, Booney, and, and actually being out there on the field winning the game. There's nothing, there's nothing like that. Um, maybe, maybe as a manager, maybe a man, the, the feeling a manager has uh, winning the World Series is comparable. But I will say this. I just think I had a lot, a, a much better perspective because of all the, the career experiences, all the life experiences. I've just felt like I, I appreciated it more last year as a coach. Um, was I as responsible for winning the world series as I was a player. No, but just that, that pers that different perspective. And like you said, you know, as we get older, you know, we, we, uh, you know, the way we see things, we, we, we change the way we see things. And I think a lot of that just because of the perspective we have and we get, we've gained over the years. So I felt like I got to be honest with you. I felt like I, I, I appreciated it more last year if that makes any sense, um, you know, and, and like you said earlier, I, I went to three world series, my first three years as a player. So maybe I didn't have a true appreciation of how difficult it was, but I surely did. Uh, by the year 2021 last year, when we won it, um, you know, I, I just, I, I just, I, I, I truly appreciated that one last year, Booney. And I, again, I, I think just cause, uh, you know, that, that's just uh, you chalk it up to a, a experience and age and, and maybe a little bit of wisdom. No, I, I believe that because I watched a few years back when the Nationals uh, won the World Series. You know, my dad was uh, assistant to the vice president and he'd been with the Nationals at that time for 10, 12, 13 years, uh, you know, on, mm -hmm. on the administrative side of the ball. And. You know, he'd won a World Series in 1980 with the Phillies, you know, as a player, obviously. But to watch mm -hmm. him when they won that World Series, to see a, a grown man cry, yeah. I watched my dad and I thought, that's really cool right there. He appreciated it, Walt, 
so much because he he's been through all the grinds. You know, he did it as a player. Uh, he did it as a big league manager. He he's, he worked for the Reds for mm-hmm. years, the Kansas City Royals, and and now it's like there was a little part of him that said maybe I had a tiny tiny bit to do with it, but the the reward I saw on his face when they won was you know as a son. It was really cool mm-hmm. watching my dad, and and I'll guarantee you what you were saying that you appreciated it, pr- maybe a little bit more last year. I know my dad uh, appreciated it and, and kind of had the same uh, sentiments that you did. But yeah, always you can't replace being a player, but uh, with right. age and and with wisdom, I I think we all grow and and have much. You know, it's just kind of growing up. It's just kind of life. You know, yeah. you look at that old guy mm-hmm. it, when you're a kid and you go, ah, you're just an old guy. When you're an old guy, hey, you might want to <laughs> listen to that old guy. He's seen a he's seen a few more things than you have. All right, I, yeah, we got some. Know, we got to go, ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. I was gonna I was gonna uh, you know go a little further on that. I, I would tell players, you know, people ask how, how special is it to win it? And even when I managed and I tried to try to lend perspective to my players as a manager, I would, you, you mentioned, you know, grown man crying. I'd, I'd say, fellas, you don't, you don't, you don't realize how special it is. Uh, I said, you, you, you watch any sport where they win a, they win a, a world championship and you see grown men cry. I mean, that's how special it is because of all the work that's gone into it. It, it could, it'll bring you to tears. And, and that's, that's, that's the level of joy, you know, you feel when, when, when you win a, a world championship. And, and that's, that's probably the best way, um, you know, to, you, you, can, you can describe that feeling. It, it, it brings grown men to tears. And that brings me to a little bit of a fun segment for out, for for you fans out there listening. Uh, Walt and myself, and I believe Mark DeRosa uh, is with the MLB Network. Now we kind of our, our year together. I was only there one year, nineteen ninety nine, but we came up with a list. And it's kind of it's kind of got a life of its own. I mean, I'll have you know, I'll have Phil Nevin calling me. Hey, Boone, we're we're doing some list stuff today. You know, now he's he, he's with the Angels, but uh, he's like, hey, the guys are coming up with some some overrated. Give me some of the overrated list from you and Weiss's list. So I got the list. It's it's in the garage. It's packed away in a memorabilia. I know where it is, though. I know where it is. Um, so what we did is we you know we were bored, rain delay. Uh, long bus trip, whatever. We'd come up with these things. And and, and I'm going to have you grade them. I, I pulled out a few. Tell me what you think. And then and then tell me if the modern day player, the player in 2021, uh, do they like doing stuff like this? Just nothing to do, something <laughs> fun, put it on paper. I'm going to let you tell me that. All right. We came up with this. And this is my favorite of all time. Walt knows this. The boomerang. Walt, why is the boomerang overrated? <laughs> well, first of all, Booney, I don't, I don't know. Is it a weapon? Is it a toy? Um, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's gotten a lot of run. It's been around for a long time. I mean, you, you, you can go down to, to the store right now and buy one if you want. But I got to tell you, if it's a weapon, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing a little more of, uh, efficient forms of weaponry than, 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 than the boomerang. I, 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 I think you're going hungry that day if you're hunting with that thing. And it, 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 and then it, if it's a toy, you know, you're throwing it three, four times. That thing ain't feel like like less than one percent of the population can make that thing come back to to themselves. <laughs> so you're throwing that thing down the road, and then then you're chasing it. I don't get it. I don't get the boomerang. You know. So that's the the over the, the the gist of the overrated list. It, 
it's not that the things that we come up with are worthless. They're just not all they're cracked up to be. I, I like that. That's that's well put. That's with age. See, there's more wisdom. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and as the technology gets better, you know, as as time goes on, this seems to not gotten any better. And that's the five day forecast. <laughs> Give me your thoughts on the five day forecast. They're never right. It always changes on day two. <laughs> hey, hey, and 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 let alone the seven day forecast. Oh, seven day I mean, forecast. That's just a dart. Anybody yeah. could throw that one. <laughs> well, this is what disgruntled players do, uh, uh, Booney, during rain delays. I try to tell people you got a rain delay, it's, it's, it's one of the more miserable experiences for a player. So you, you go in there, you, you, you're going to eat, you're going to gain five pounds during, 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 during the uh, hour and a half that you're off. And uh, some guys are playing cards. We would start, you know, the, the way the list started, we started griping about all the things that, that bugged us, got under our skin. You know, it started out as baseball-related things like, uh, you know, the fungo circle or uh, what's that for? And then, uh, you know, we, we hated running bases during BP. What, like, you know, we're getting a lot out of that. I was. Uh, how about the yeah? Then uh, the yellow line on top of the home, on top of the fence in the outfield. What's that for? <laughs> this causes confusion. The ball's got to go over the fence. So so this is how it started out, and then and then like you said, and then when I met you, Boney, you you took it to another level. Um, but we, you know, we we then it just became all 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 life experiences that that we felt like were overrated. Um, like my favorite, you know, my all time favorite. I got to tell you, Boney, is still. It's got to be the driving gloves, you know. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it that guy that like hit the lottery? He's going to go buy his first Porsche. He's got the hat on. What would make you put on gloves to get behind the wheel of a car? <laughs> I don't know, but that guy—he's—he's he's not turning the key without the gloves on. I mean, he, he's got to have the gloves. It's—it's—it's it's, it's an accessory to the car. I never understood the driving gloves. That's not some of my favorite, the metric system. We never use it in the United States of America. Rack and pinion steering. Nobody knows what it is. Here's one that I came across last night as I was doing a little research. The fireman pole. Can't they just walk down the steps? Why do you got to go down a pole? There's there's possibility of injury. Hey, kids. Hey, kids. You want to play cards? Yeah. All right. Make sure you get the jokers out of the deck. Why are there jokers in the deck of cards? (laughs) All right. I'll I'll do a few more and I'll let you comment. What are your favorites? Car stereo remote. Why do you need a remote? Can't just reach over? (laughs) Uh, the music conductor, I feel as if those people in the band never watch him for a second. They've got their own notes to read. They don't need a guy with a stick. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm not, you know, well-educated in that field. I don't think so. I don't think there's there's no it's not necessary to have a state bird. What is that? Do? It does nothing. Two of my and, and I'm going to finish with two of my favorites, and, and you can comment on any of the above that I've listed. Yeah. The ten speed for a bicycle. You do not need ten speeds. There's only like seven isn't enough. Six, you need ten on a bike. You're going to get up to like twenty seven. Man, if I would have had twelve speeds, I'd have gone thirty. I don't understand the ten speed. And the number one ranking on Mister Boone's list is. 
Robin from Batman and Robin. Unnecessary. <laughs> he is not a superhero. He can do nothing except for throw tired punches. All right. Walt, you got anything to comment on that list? There's my list for the day. You know, you, you know, I, I forgot about Robin. That 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 might uh, you might have trumped uh, driving gloves with Robin. Um, <laughs> one of one, one of my favorites, and this this has been around a long time. Again, not all it's cracked up to be, but the slinky, right? <laughs> the slinky, you're going, you're taking three 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 trips down the stairs. It becomes a tangled mess. You could be a nuclear physicist, and you're not getting that thing untangled. It's gone. <laughs> but but you, you you can you can buy a slinky at any time. Um, and every kid's got to have one. I don't know one. if we talked. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about this one, Booney. The bathroom caddy, I call him. You know, the guy the guy standing in there. You go in there. And, oh, you got to tip him. You never have a couple he, ones he, in your pocket. You end up giving him a ten. He's standing outside the stall as you drop a deuce, which is awkward enough, okay? And then you come out, the guy's going to throw you a mint and maybe a paper towel, and you got to hand him a few bucks. The whole thing is weird. It is weird, and it's so uncomfortable. You either flee really quick or you don't have ones, and you end up giving them like a 10. And you come out of the bathroom, and you're like, 10 bucks, and he handed me a towel. And, and he, it is uncomfortable. It's like he's forcing you, like, why are you here? You're, I'm here, so you tip me. That's why I'm here. Can we just, here, here's a dollar. Can you just leave me alone and leave the room? <laughs> it's, it, it, the awkwardness is to a point that if I do got to drop a deuce, I ain't, go, I ain't doing it. I'm waiting until I go home. I'm holding it in at that point. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, the list. I still get calls from people. Hey. You got that list? Yeah. I, I We're having an argument and da, 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 you know, and these are the guys playing today. Buddies, you know, buddies of both of ours that are coaching or managing around the league. They always want to know about the list. Anyway, Walt, well, this we, has we been a pleasure, man. Bony, try to rejuvenate it. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome, been a pleasure. Bony, awesome talking to your brother. One of my favorite all-time teammates, too. Well, I appreciate and, and, that. And uh, best of luck. Uh, you're off to a little bit of a slow start, but a uh, lot of way to go. Long way to go. Two-thirds of the season to go. I wish you all the best in Atlanta. And what we do each and every Boone podcast, at the end of the podcast, we bring in the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy. Dano? <laughs> Allow me to add another one for that list. All right. Please. Why do we drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? Uh, uh, <laughs> like where you Dan. That, Dan. And why Dan. do we pay tolls on a freeway? Yeah, you're not getting the gist of the list, Dan. Oh, I'm getting the gist. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's tough. Not everybody gets it. I've got, I, I, I I got, I got more to add. That's all. <laughs> It's tough. It's not for everybody. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I still have questions about those myself. <laughs> and how come if Popeye was able to eat spinach and beat up everybody, why didn't his enemies in Bluto eat spinach too? They obviously saw him popping it. <laughs> Once again, Dan, you got, uh, you're not a list guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.